All right, people, welcome to the Advanced Training Podcast. We have a special guest today. He is ranked number fourth all time in our PowerPoint rating, and he is the record holder in chin-ups, sorry, pull-ups with 49, Mr. Bobby Alberino. Bobby, how you doing? I'm doing well, Coach. I, I have to say, this is the first and probably only time I've ever actually called you Bobby. I only know you as A-Bomb, so I got to ask, how'd you get the name? Well, that's actually a funny story, but fun, funnier story is um, when we were at the award ceremony senior year, um, you gave a very long speech about me with the name A-Bomb, and it was about five minutes long, this speech, and my mom the entire time had no idea you were talking about <laughs> me because she didn't know that was my nickname. And I was only <laughs> referring to you as A-Bomb during the speech? Yep. I don't think you said my real name once. Your parents must have been very proud. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so my whole life, I was one of those people that, uh, pretty much had different nicknames. Um, I don't know why, but people never get my last name, right? It is very simple. It's Alberino, not hard name, but for some reason I always get Albertini, Alberto, uh, Abadamo, um, pretty much everything differently. So sophomore year, when I got onto the JV team, uh, coach Sal was the head coach. So the first day of practice, he asked me my name and we always usually listed our last name first at football practice. So I said, Alberino. And he said, uh, I'll never remember that. You're now a bomb. Um, and that was one name that I, I didn't think would ever stick, but that happens to be the, the most sticky nickname of my life. See, I thought it had to do with you blowing up running backs in the backfield. And I didn't know you, it was just a, an incorrect name. You would, you would think that, but uh, no, nah, it was just something Coach Al came up with in the moment. So let's talk about that. You, I had the honor of coaching you as a linebacker in your senior year of high school. Your junior year, you were a fullback. Let's talk about your senior year, and then we're going to go back to that junior year for a second. So what is this myth, or can you expand on this myth that you pretty much wiped out every starting running back that you went against? Um, it's a little bit of a myth. Uh, but for the most part, I remember one game where there was three different running backs that came in and all three of them ended up hurt by the end of the game, uh, which happened to be from me. Um, I wouldn't say I was trying to hurt anyone. Like I wasn't doing anything dirty. I just, my goal, every play was to try and get them to not get back up. I wanted to win the game any way I could. So I was going to hit you as hard as I can. And I was going to give you everything I had on that play. And I was just, it was my hope that I'd come out the stronger man. So I'd say that you had a knack of getting in the backfield really fast. So I'd have to say, because I was starting to keep track of it, there might have been a three-game streak or a four-game streak, and maybe it might have been four out of six games. You know, the, the legend just keeps growing and growing. But you were knocking kids out, and you weren't dirty. It's just, I, what I saw on film is that you got back there so fast they just got the handoff and bang, you lift the kid up. So he didn't have a chance to get himself set. He was caught off guard. And the next thing you know, the kid's out of the game. Yeah. Now, uh, were, were, you, were you reading plays? Were you just, did you have a sick instinct? How'd you get back there so fast? Uh, so honestly, for me, um, I watched a lot of film. So for me, every night I got home from practice, I would, I would sit in the bathtub or in my bed. I would try to ice up and I would, I would normally just sit there and watch film over and over and over again. And it wasn't always the the other team that we were playing that week. Sometimes it was just rewatching my own repetitions just to see what I was doing wrong. Um, so I think 
watching what I messed up on and then knowing, trying to know the play of the other person before it happened. I think that's where it got me. So for, for Luke Keekley, he just retired. But if you hear a lot of people speak about him, what they say is that when they would line up in formations, he would call out the play before, before they even snapped the ball. So they would line up and he would say, it's a run to the right. They would line up. He would say, it's a screen pass, but that, that was always my goal. So, especially senior year when, when I was calling the plays for the defense, any, any position they, they were put in um, on, on the offensive side of the ball, I, my goal was to sneak it out before it happened so that I already tried to give us the field. And let's take this now to your junior year. You're a fullback. We ran that, that double wing style offense. Your job was to blow somebody up every single play. Uh, yes, pun on the name A-bomb. You were a real good fullback. What made you – you had no fight in you at all when we said we want you to go to linebacker. Why, why didn't you fight about that? Uh, so I consider myself a linebacker. For a lot of years, since I was about five years old, most of my life I played either linebacker and running back or just linebacker. So – Originally, I wanted to be a linebacker when I went on varsity, but my goal was to get on the field. My goal was to be put where I need to be. My goal was to help the team any way I can. So if the best thing for me would be to go to fullback and because we didn't have a fullback and we had an excess of linebackers, I'm fine with that. I want to be on the field. I want to be making plays. It doesn't really matter to me where you put me. I just wanted to make those plays. Um, so when you took me over to the linebacker, I didn't really fight it because in my heart, I'm a linebacker, but also I knew that was the best for the team. So it, it wasn't really a fight because that's kind of what I wanted. But if you would have told me, go play offense blind, or you would have told me, go play safety, it wouldn't have mattered to me as long as I was. I'm glad play. you said that because I had these grandiose ideas of putting you at safety. I believe it was against Chaminade, right? Yeah, I remember championship that. Game. And I, playoff I, I know game. that, yep. uh, sorry, playoff game. That's correct. I know that Joe Sarno was probably. I don't know, falling out of his seat right now because I, I I like to put great players at safety, especially if they're a roll-down safety against a triple option offense and they get to get into that alley and stick people. So uh, yeah, that, that was actually the plan. You ended up getting real sick, right? You had the flu. You had to miss that game. But, yes, I, I my goal was to put you at safety for that game. Yeah, I remember uh, the practice leading up to that. Um, I remember my first day on Monday – was when I started getting sick. But on Monday, I started practicing at safety and fullback, and I was going to play both. Um, and you don't know how much that hurt to, to not play in that game. But it was for – the, for the one day I was there, it was, it was a really good experience for me. And then if you remember, when I went into the All-Star game, um, they actually put me at cornerback to play. So, <laughs> so going from linebacker to safety to cornerback all in about a two-week span was, was a little different. But, but I, I enjoy being moved around. What do you think the difference is between the modern athlete and people from back in your day, which wasn't even that long ago? Uh, honestly, there's there's one major key, and I would say it's it's that they're soft. And I know this word's used a lot, and I know a lot of people who don't really know what they're talking about use the word, and and it's thrown around, so the meaning's kind of lost. But if you if you look at back when even five, 10 years ago when people like people that were in are in a tough man training. When these people were in high school, they gave their all every day. They showed up to every workout. They 
every time they were on the field, they wanted to work as hard as they can. If someone was on the field that wasn't working hard, they were getting called out or they were getting hit or something. There, there was going to be some type of consequence. And I know a lot of people, especially in C football, kept that accountable. I remember my freshman year when we were coming on the field, um, kids were walking onto the field and it was all freshmen. So Joe Martell decided to scream field fight. And when you screamed field fight, uh, pretty much everyone just ran at each other and tried to hit each other. But because he saw us walking down the field, I remember he sprinted and took me out completely without me even knowing what was happening. So it, it was things like that that kept people accountable. Um, but nowadays, it seems like they just don't care. So it'll say you'll say, hey, I want to move you to this position because you'll play. And I don't think you're going to do much as a backup in this other position. They'll say, well, I'm not going to get that ball, the ball in that position. So I don't really want to play that position. Um, they're, they, they just want the reward. They don't want the work for it. They're, they're expected to have things handed to them. And that's just not the way it works, especially in high school football. Like there are no rewards for that. You're not getting paid. You're not getting anything for that. You might get a college look, but let's be honest, we're, we're Staten Island kids. We're not huge. We're not incredibly talented. We are just workhorses, or we used to be at least. So, so when you see some of the kids now, it's, it just seems like they, they expect to have things handed to them and don't really care about it. And I'd, I'd say I'll speak a little for you just because we, we've coached together. We've, I've coached you. I've trained with you. Uh, we, we know each other real well. It, you know, it's not, we're not saying every single person's soft. We're not saying that every high school's soft. We're not say, it's, it's, I'd say there is a general consensus that the football people's mentality whatever you want to call it is not as hard as it used to be and and the one thing i think you're right about 100 percent is that what i see in the, the modern athlete is that people don't want to be that guy that calls everybody else out for not working hard and tells them to get on the field and put themselves almost in this leadership position amongst their peers they'd rather just kind of fit in than take that stand and really control the momentum of the rest of the team and we, we would tell people all the time be the be the thermostat, don't be the thermometer, but uh, it was a tough sell. It was a real tough sell. There were certain kids that that definitely knew that I appreciated them for what they were doing. And some of them would call out other kids for being lazy. But it just seems like now the kids care more about being popular than about working hard. And it's like it's like a popularity contest on the field. Like the less work you do, the cooler you are. And it just seems like everyone tries to fit into that mold. And, and you're not that old. So it's not like you're uh, 50. <laughs> you, you'll, you know, I started noticing it when I was training high school kids, sorry, college guys, and then kids right out of high school. And it was weird that guys two or three years apart from each other had nothing in common. And it just seemed like they were 50 years apart from each other, but it was only two to three years removed from high school. And I feel like it's now it's expanding more and more and more. I can't imagine what the difference is going to be like between guys in five years or ten years. Well, they'll have nothing in common with each other. Yeah, it, it's gonna it's gonna be a big difference, but I'm hoping that something will will make a change and it'll start to come back around because a lot of fads these days they they come and they go. So I'm hoping the uh, the nonchalant cool kid attitude kind of works its way out and people start to realize like they have to work for what they want. Yeah, the, the, no one's going to give you anything, and anything you get for free isn't worth having. You, you really – you got to earn every single thing you get. If somebody's handing it to you, there's something else on the other side of that. Nothing's for free. Nothing's for free. So I, I want to talk – I want to change gears a bit and talk about your 
resume at advanced training, which kind of speaks for itself. So first and foremost, uh, look, we're talking 2014. Uh, I know what you're going to tell me, which everyone else is going to tell me, coach, if I work with you right now, I dominate those numbers. And that's probably true. But we're going to talk about what what you did on the program that we had. So you walked in the door at in 2014, benching 285, and in just a few short months, you're benching 320. You walk in the door, deadlifting 335. A few short months, you're deadlifting 385. You're doing 28 pull-ups when you come in and 49. That's the record for advanced training, 49 pull-ups when you walk out. That's an insane PowerPoint increase in one year. So you, you walked in with real good numbers. You left with insane numbers, ranked number four. J- just talk me through You know what – obviously, you weren't weak when you walked in. What was it that helped you get these insane gains in such a short amount of time in year one of the program? uh effort and and i say that literally so i've noticed that there's there's two different types of workouts there's one going through the motions just to get it done or two giving it your all and trying to get better and i've noticed that i do both of them and i do i do the first one more often than you would think so when i work out there's times where it's like i don't feel like working out i don't i don't want to do this if if i have to get 10 to 12 reps on a set i'm gonna get 10 if I am supposed to go up 10 pounds, maybe I'll only go up five. But then there's other times where I'll go in and if I'm supposed to go up 10 pounds, I'll go up 20 and I'll kill it and I'll go up another 10 on the next set. And it's just, it's a lot of mentality mentality going in. So when you had us waking up at, at 4.30 in the morning to come work out, just to get stronger for something that, that might not even happen. I wasn't even sure if I was going to play college football at that point. I was just doing it. So to wake up at 4.30 in the morning for, for something that may not happen, it was like, I, I better be giving this everything I have. Because if not, then I'm just wasting my own time. I'm wasting your time. I'm wasting the time of everyone. And it's pointless. So, so for me to wake up at 4.30 in the morning, when I was driving to that gym, I, the things I was thinking in my head just over and over again, it was like I knew the numbers I had from last week. I wanted to beat them so bad. So if I did 29 pull-ups last week, in my head, I was going for 35. And if I couldn't get 35, then I was going to fall off that bar because I was trying. But I, every every workout, I remember I used to tell you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this weight and I'm going to get it. I'm going to do this weight and I'm going to get it. And you would say, you're insane, Alberino. You're insane. Or A-bomb because you never call me Alberino. But I remember – when we were testing, I told you, I I think it was 275. I wanted to do for 10 reps. And you told me I was absolutely insane and that I should probably be doing, I think it was 245. You told me, and I, I think I got 275 for nine. And I think that killed me a lot on the inside. (laughs) So are you you saying I was right? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You, you were right. You were right. I probably should have took a few pounds off, but, but I, I definitely, the, the motivation to, to prove you wrong or to prove everyone wrong, that, that's, what, that's what drives me. And I do remember that – I don't know. Are you a guy that says – are you a guy that likes to write things down, write your goals down? Absolutely. I, I write – I have a giant whiteboard hanging in my room every day. I'll, I'll on it. And it's not always like a goal or anything like that. Sometimes it will be a quote. Sometimes it will be like a lesson that I learned that I just want to remember or – or something like that, but I always write everything down. Just like for this, you gave me a few questions. I, I'm not even going off the paper, but just the fact that I I answered them and wrote them wrote them down, it, it gave me a little 
this is what I wanted to talk about. Um, but every workout, I write down numbers. I write down, that was too easy. This this was hard. This was different. This was whatever. I would write it down just so that next time I knew, last time this was easy, I got to add some weight. Or I would write down the, on the paper on the bottom, like, today I did 265. Next week, I'm easily getting 275. Like, I'll, ju- I'll just give myself little notes and stuff like that just – to prepare me for the next time. I mean, I, I would see your notes on the sheet that we had. And what I was going to say before is I remember that you would say things to me and I would say, this kid's nuts. Like he, he's willing himself into doing this. There, there was no reason why you were doing some of the weights that you should have done. But in my mind, I was saying that you were actually making yourself do it just by the will that you had to do it. Yeah. The good form that you had, uh, the effort you had, the fact that you showed up, that all played a part into it. But when you have those, absolute essentials and then the will i think it was the secret to your success i'm looking at your your delta in pull-ups you you gain 21 pull-ups that's more than people have in their entire life you, you gain that in five months you know, that's insanity yeah it's a for me it's a it's it's definitely a willpower thing but it's it's all mental and a lot of people have said like oh you're you're crazy like it's not a mental thing but until until you get to the other side of that fence, you realize it's it's big. Men- mental stability on things like that can can make you or break you. So, just for example, uh, the other day, I was I've been doing four sets of ten on bench press lately, and I did two thirty five two weeks ago. So last week I was supposed to do two forty five for ten for four sets of ten. I accidentally put on two fifty five, thinking that I was supposed to be doing that weight. I didn't even question it. I just went through my four sets of 10, banged them out, struggled a little bit towards the end, but, but I got through all of them. And then at the end I realized, wow, like I went up 20 pounds from the week before without even guessing just because mentally before that set, I was ready to push that weight. I didn't care what weight was on the bar. I was pushing 10 times. <laughs> so uh, you got me in my head. I need to ask you a thousand different questions, but I'm, I'm going to completely change gears again, then get back to the question I really wanted to ask you next. So you write things down. You had just given me a book on dieting. Uh, and in the book, I'm reading the notes, your notes to yourself. I don't know, your notes to everybody. And it was awesome because I was getting inside. I felt like I was reading the book with you. And one of the things you wrote was, uh, Justin was right. Do, do you remember that part of the book? I do remember that part. Now, it was about don't eat kale if you don't want to eat kale. What, what was Justin right about? So... Justin is is the the head trainer that I work with. He's he's a brilliant guy. Um, he's pretty much given me a million different life lessons, and he's always right about everything. And it's not that I don't think he's right. I know he's right. I'm just not ready for him to be right yet, if that makes any sense. So he'll tell me you sh- you have to eat vegetables every day. So you're gonna have you're gonna have a bunch of protein. You're gonna have a little bit of rice. You're gonna have a bunch of vegetables. Will get you to where you want to be physically and right but in my head I'm like I'm not ready to start cooking my food every day right so I'm gonna let let that sit on the back burner for a little while and then when I'm ready I'll, I'll come back and admit that he's right so just going through that book when it's saying you don't have to eat kale you just need to eat some type of green leafy vegetable he says that all the time it doesn't need to be kale it has to be green and leafy so he always tells me that so as I'm as I'm going through it I think that was my way of admitting to myself, like, all right, I, I have to do this. 
Okay, so you alluded to the fact that you're a trainer. Uh, what do you do? What do you do now? I know you had played high school football. You trained with me uh, back when you were going out of high school into college, and you're training with me now. What do you actually do as a trainer yourself? Uh, so I work at a company called Parabolic Performance and Rehab. Um, it's it's very different than a, a normal gym or a normal, uh, normal personal training facility and things like that. We have physical therapy. We have performance training, which is sports athletes and stuff like that. We also have gen pop training. But we, we all talk and learn from each other. So the physical therapists and the performance trainers, we all basically work as one. So when you're coming in as a performance client or if you're coming in as a physical therapy client, um, we're, we're all basically talking together on how to make you better or something like that. So if I have a senior football player who comes in with a certain shoulder injury but wants to continue to train for football, if he's on my schedule – Everyone in the building will know exactly who he is, what his problem is, and how we can fix it. Because I'm going to talk to the physical therapist on how to keep him healthy. I'm going to talk to the head coach on what we can do to improve his speed. We're going to basically come up with a plan that is going to make him the best at what he can be. So it's, it's not just personal training going through the motions. It's not just physical therapy nonsense. It's, it's movement it's movement based, especially on the physical therapy side, but on the performance training side, it's, it's, it's all sports specific training. That's going to make you better at your sport. Now, did you just say that you're, you talk to the head coach? Is it his football head coach or the head coach at your training facility? Uh, no head coach at the training facility. Um, so when we have kids come in, we normally have their like full program that they're given in from their college, uh, their high school or college team or whatever it is. We have their program. Um, we kind of give our thoughts on it and then we, we can create our program. Um, so like that, we're not overloading them on certain things if they're doing it one day and then they come in to train with us, stuff like that. So, uh, when, but when I say head coach, I mean, uh, so Justin Moore, the guy that I work with, uh, he's the head coach in our facility and he's also the education coordinator. So any questions we have, he probably has the answer to. So if I want to work on, um, like speed or strength or specific things. And based on that person's profile, exactly what I need, we'll, we'll have a plan for it. Um, so it's, it's always good to have these people around who are, who are way smarter than me and know way more about the job than me um, to, to just kind of lean on when I need some help. So what made you decide to get into this business? I mean, obviously, you're a strong kid. You're always fit. What made you want to be a trainer? Uh, so honestly, that's that's a good question because I don't know. So when, when I was going into college, my, my major was undecided. Um, originally, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to play football. So I, I started on the football team um, like my first week there. I was I was part of the team and then I kind of like gave that up. But um, I had no idea where I wanted to go in life. I thought maybe nursing. I thought maybe physical therapy. I thought maybe business. Maybe I wanted to be a businessman, do stocks or accounting or, or some type of safe job that, that um, would just make me money and I'd kind of be miserable at a desk job or something like that. I, I got to cut you off for a second. That's a wide range of stuff. Nurse, yes. Wall Street guy, uh, <laughs> trainer. Okay, Talk, keep talking. I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud. It's, it's a very wide range. But for, for me, I didn't know what I wanted. So, so I had all these thoughts coming in and and it was like, do I take the safe job? That's that's a desk job. That's kind of boring, but I'll, I'll make a good amount of money. Do I want to take the 
the fitness job where I'll have fun, but I'm probably not going to make as much money. It, it was, or do I go nursing where I'm going to be helping people and making a decent amount of money, but I'll be working these crazy hours and, and it's not really the, the type of helping people I want to do. So, so all these thoughts were running through my head. So originally after going undecided, my goal was physical therapy. So I was going to go to PT school. I was going to become a physical therapist. And my goal was to work with athletes, try and get them back on the field after injury and things like that. Um, as I was in school, I went and I shadowed at two different physical therapy facilities. Both of them happened to not be sports related. I didn't know that going into it. Um, I thought that all physical therapy was kind of the same where they would see some gen pop, some sports and, and some like rehab and stuff like that. So I thought it was all like that. I didn't know that there was different sections of the, of the department. So the two that I went to were mostly gen pop people that happened to be like 60 or 70 years old. And they were kind of just there to stay in shape. So I remember specifically, there was one woman who would come in, she would, she would get worked on with manual treatment. So she would basically get massaged on the table. And then her exercise was for the day was to, to walk like two laps around the facility. This facility was probably the size of a small gym. So imagine like C football gym. She had to walk two laps around that facility and that was her workout for the day. So when, when I went into that and saw like what was actually happening in physical therapy, my mind was blown. I was like, this is not what I expected. I don't want to be a part of this. I'm, I'm going to be miserable if I do this and I'm going to be miserable if I do some other things. So it was like, why don't I just do something that I actually enjoy? So once I decided that I changed my ma major to health and exercise science um, and I was required to do a 400 hour internship in order to graduate. So when I was looking for the internships, I was looking at uh, Parisi. I was looking at a few different like speed and agility type places. And then um, my dad happened to know someone who knew someone. Yes, that he knew someone that knew someone who owned parabolic performance and rehab. He knew a so, guy who knew a guy. Exactly. So, so basically just like that. We, we got in contact with the owner and it was like, hey, like I've got to do a 400 hour internship. Can I do it there? So I went and I inter I basically interviewed with uh, who my, is my current manager and I ended up getting the internship. So when I went, I was, I was kind of in love. I went to this facility. They had, it was this beautiful weight training facility. They had an indoor soccer field. They had indoor basketball courts. They had all these different like things that I can play with at work basically is the way I think of it. So when I went there and, and, and I interned first, they put me through a bunch of videos. So the guy, Justin created this, this basically it's a program of videos where you watch them and it like brings you step-by-step step into what you're going to be doing at that job. So it'll give you like the base knowledge and then start working up and up and up into the more, specific stuff but just from those videos alone i learned more than i learned in my four years of schooling then from being shadowing all these different coaches throughout the day i got to work with um a professional women's soccer team who happened to have carly lloyd on it i got to work with um some of these nfl football players who were just on the cusp of making the team and it was kind of on us to try and get them there so that they can they can make the practice squad or make the team um, that happened to be from the area. And, and it was, I, I was got to experience all these different things. 
and just from from shadowing the the brilliant people around me and and asking enough questions and things like that it it pretty much showed me exactly what I wanted in my life so once you find that that niche that you that you want it's you kind of like feel that's that burning inside you to like learn more about it that's that's how I felt so as as soon as I I was there I, I knew that was the place how long did it take you to figure out that being a good trainer is also is not just being strong or being fit which you were going in but being a great teacher a great educator a great mentor was that is it something that you picked up right away or did it take time so I, I knew it right away just from the, the coaches that were there. So when I, when I started, I, I wasn't with like new coaches that didn't know what they were talking about. I was pretty much thrown. I happened to be perfectly thrown into a situation where I was with very, very good coaches who I basically needed to like get up to their level fast so that I didn't fall behind. So when I went into this facility, I saw all these coaches and it was it was pretty well known that in order to be a good trainer or a good coach or anything like that, it it wasn't just about the workout. It was about everything that was said during the workout, everything you enforced on them, like the the life rules you gave them. So it's not about just the workout. It's about like making them a better man when they leave the program. It's about how, forcing them to follow rules and things like that 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 they are going to need in their life setting, even if they don't make it to the NFL. They're going to need this in a job that they should show up early, that they should do all these different things um, that you should sign up for the class on time. So that when you come in, we know you're coming like things like that, just enforcing those rules, becoming more of a mentor than just, just a a trainer. But it's little things like that, that make you stand out. So when, when you get to be around the people that I'm around and you see, you see, of course, the what other people are doing in other places that, that it seems like they have no idea what they're doing. They were thrown into a job and got paid a bunch of money to do things that look cool on Instagram. And then there's people like the ones that I work with who are very high level, who don't really care how they look on different things. They just know that they're giving the best product. Um, I think I think that's what what made me realize that it's, it's more, more than training. It's, it's, it's about like building the overall person. And maybe that leads to my next question, but you're, you're working at this awesome job. You are working late at night. What made you decide to come volunteer your time to help us out at six o'clock in the morning with these high school, with this high school football team? Um, so, so for the, for the main point of this is, Anything that you do, I want to be a part of. So coming from coaching under you, or sorry, being coached by you, and then working with you as you as the trainer and me as the, the client, things like that, I, I am very bought into what you do. So if you say, hey, I have a, I have a football team and I want you to help coach it because that's the best thing for them, um, I'll be there. But especially the fact that it was a football team that was high school level. It ga- it gave me the experience that I needed. So when I was coaching the team, I learned so much about team coaching, weight room coaching, um, working with high school kids, like all these things helped me in my current job. And going into it, I didn't really have this expectation. I just thought like I was going to coach a team. Yeah. Maybe I'd learn something here and there, but like it wasn't going to be much, but the, what you, what you implemented in the, in the weight room and on the team and 
and everything like that. That was big, big lessons for me on how to work with people in the future. Well, one, thank you. That that means a lot that you said that. Two, I love that you said that it was hopefully scratching some other itch that you have that's going to make you excel more at the job you have. And three, I do, th- and I I'd question how many high school programs had the volume and quality of coaches on the floor that we did. If you think about our morning sessions, we had five coaches, yourself being one of them, a professional who does this for a living. Other guys who know this stuff came up through our program with hands-on coaching for kids. We'd have times where there'd be like a, a six to one ratio of kids to coaches being watched on every single rep. And yeah, there, there was something going on in that weight room that I personally believe was special. And uh, one thing I loved about you is not just that you knew what the hell you were doing, but you had a great knack for finding moments and capturing moments. You know, you'd be always be the guy to pick up your phone at the right time and take a video of just something special happening. And I just would pass by this stuff and I, I continue to do it. It's one of my weaknesses. How do you know when the right time is? You weren't the guy who's always on your phone and missing the workout, but when the moment was right, you picked up that phone, you took that recording and it helped me capture moments that I would have lost forever. How do you have that skill? Um, so in the least corny way, I, I try to capture moments that I want to remember. So if, if I'm about to see something like when we would do our challenges at the end of the day, or we would do the national anthem with everyone like holding their arm around each other and, and things like that, or just you giving them life lessons, like those are things that I want to remember one day. So that like, if I look back in my camera roll, or if I look back on my Instagram, I, I can remember what happened that day and, and how it made me better or how it made me enjoy coaching the football team. Cause there's, there's times where it's not fun. Like you're waking up at 5am to go coach a, a high school football team. You're going to go work a, a 10 hour job after that and then go to sleep late at night and do it all again. Like there's times where it's not fun. No, you don't want to do that. But then there's, there's those little moments. It's that just make everything worthwhile. And it, it's, I not that I have experience, but I, I kind of, I would kind of uh, relate this to like having kids. Like when you have kids, you're you're gonna be miserable. You're gonna have sleepless nights. You're gonna they're gonna mess up. They're gonna do things that you don't want. But like those little those little moments that that bring out the brightness of it. That's kind of what it's like when when I was coaching the football team. And I'd say you know I, you know you get a high school kid to get up at six fifteen. There's, I'd say 80% of those kids will not get up at 6.15. They're on the floor at 6.15. 80% of them want to be there. They fought to be there. There's 20%, like you said, that I don't know if it's not – they don't care, but maybe they're exhausted. Uh, maybe it's 10% are completely exhausted, and maybe you got the small percentage that don't care. But it is – it's not the same emotion as you're getting at the 3.15 crowd who's coming out of school raring to go after sitting in class all day. You got – it's still dark. It's cold out for most of the time that you're lifting weights in the offseason. Yeah, you got, you got to come in, and you as a coach need to be that therm- uh, thermostat because you got to set the tone. There, there's no – these kids aren't just going to do it themselves at that early in the morning. You got to get it done. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And the, I think the best – aspect that you implemented was having two different workouts the morning group and then the the afternoon group because if you only did the morning group like a lot of schools did you would have lost half the kids um a lot of them wouldn't have come and if you did only the afternoon group i also think you would have lost a lot of kids because 
when you have the afternoon group, some other sports get in the way. Right. So if a kid's playing baseball, he's got to practice at the end of the day. There's certain kids who get out of school and they're like, oh, I don't want to go now. Like, I'm, I'm just going to leave. And, and I even remember when I was, I think, a sophomore in high school, we used to have workouts after school. And there were certain times where I, I got out of school after a long day doing doing schoolwork all day. And I was like, the last thing I want to do is go work out right now. I'm just going to go home. And I, I remember doing that a few times. Uh, as a as a younger athlete, and then it kind of clicked. Like, what am I doing? I'm I'm wasting my own time. So I, I think you implementing the morning and the afternoon saved you a lot of that trouble. Saved a bunch of kids from from not getting better that day. And we we were trying to make it easy, as easy as you could, and remove as many I say uh I don't know excuses from making people not want to lift because all you need is an excuse, and then you're not going to go do it. And so we tried to make that excuse that excuse go away. Now for me personally, it was rough because multiple trips across the entirety of Staten Island was starting to wear on me. But uh, I think for the program, it was a good thing to have, I agree with you to have that morning group and the afternoon group. And it also, it kept coaches relatively fresh because they only had to coach it up for 45 minutes. You know, we had quick lifts. You didn't have to spend three hours in the gym. We had an afternoon coaching staff We had a, a morning coaching staff. And it's pretty sick. We had, I think we had a total of eight different guys as a part of our, strength and conditioning staff which is very sick for a high school and not even like this uh, gigantic high school in texas you know we're a small high school in staten island so i I, yeah i did love it i'm glad you were a part of it and now i want to get to uh you you talked about the challenge so we have a challenge at events training but we also had a challenge in this high school we had team-based challenges you also mentioned the national anthem so we would sing it in the weight room before big events my thought was and i was kind of copying this off the guy before me get them ready to Get them ready for game time. Get them used to singing that national anthem so nothing's big. That's not a big deal when you get to the big game. Having said that, you have this great knack for talent. You develop this stacked team that you're coaching. They get to the finals of the 2019 Challenge at St. Peter's, and your team has a controversial loss. Uh, Tell me what happened. Um, So – First off, it wasn't controversial. We won, and we're, 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 we're told that we lost. Um, but basically what happened is each person on the team was, was a part of one event. And your own coach couldn't count your reps. So if, if the kid on my team was bench pressing, I couldn't count his reps. One of the other coaches had to do it. So when it, it came to jump rope, one of the other coaches was counting. So I was – taking a video of every uh, player as they were doing their event. And I took a video of the jump rope and I wasn't counting as he was going. I was watching, I was cheering him on. And at the end, I think they said around like, I I think they missed by about 35 reps, if I'm not mistaken. Um, But there, there was video evidence and we didn't look at it until after. But when they said the number, I was like, that didn't seem right, but okay. So we went into the next event. We still had the lead. Um, and we ended up losing because we dropped the farmer's carry, um, the dumbbell carry a little bit earlier. So the, those missed reps on the jump rope counted as seconds toward that last thing. So we would have had an extra uh, 30 or so seconds to, to hold that dumbbell to try and beat the other team. So when, when the kid dropped it about three seconds after we did, I, I think it, it kind of proved that we would have won. Um, but I, I think what you did was – was a good lesson for them so what you did was um after we saw the replay every everyone on my team especially was begging for like a rerun they wanted to do the whole thing over again but you were basically like there's going to be times where in in football the refs are going to screw you and 
and you're not going to get your way. And you're, you're going to know you scored that touchdown, but they're going to call it short. And, and there's, there's going to be a lot of things like that. So it's not the end of the world that we didn't win that. And uh, for a lot of the kids, it, it was a good life lesson, but um, I think it was very clear that we did win and, and I'm still a little mad about it. So a couple of things, one, you technically you did win. Uh, number two, I just want to reiterate for people what was going on. There were two, I believe it was four combined challenges, right? There were two teams left. There were four people on each team that were going to compete and we were going to take four separate events and combine their total reps of whatever they were doing. So if somebody did bench press and they did 20 reps, that counted as 20 reps. If they did jump rope and they did 200 reps, that counted as 200 reps plus the 20 reps from bench, that's 220. And then you talked about a farmer's walk every second holding that dumbbell counted as a rep. So it, it was relatively close on all the events except jump rope, oddly, where your team dominated, just the reps were called i'd say they i think it was more than 35 i think that might have been about 50 missed reps on the jump rope and uh your team they took it well they were a little upset they wanted me to see the footage but when i gave them that talk they took it well and actually they didn't fight me on it even they were saying you know what you're right we got some bad calls against us last year let's go so uh yeah you're not getting that one back but i believe that that's going to make all of them you me everybody better later on in life just from from taking that ending the way we did yeah, I definitely think it was a good lesson for them. And and I, I think a good reason why they didn't fight you is because um, after the the whole thing, I kind of sat down with them and they were like, you got to tell him to do a rerun. I was basically like, there's, I basically explained to them the way you explained it. And there, there's going to be times where this happens and, and you can't do anything about it. So I, I think uh, once once we kind of showed them that it wasn't the end of the world, they they were willing to accept it. And you had a pretty stacked team. Yeah, you know, you had seen things in kids day one that I wasn't able to see. And again, I was like, this guy's crazy. I don't know what he's talking about. He sees something in this kid and bang, you know, this guy's leading the group in bench press or his PowerPoints almost double. So I want to carry this over through forget high school. Now we're talking about you in training, Thanksgiving tough man. You predicted that your team would win the Thanksgiving tough man. And they did, uh, were you trash talking or did you honestly believe you guys are going to win the whole thing? Uh, okay. So honestly, teams came out. We saw on, on the website. Um, I saw who was on each team. I saw who was on my team and I texted Joe Roskowski and said, we might come in last place. Um, and, and I'm, I wasn't kidding even in the slightest. I, I looked and I was like, I think we might come in last place. Like I've trained with the people that we're going against and I know they are very legit. They're they're not going to take it lightly. They're they're going to give it their all. I know them. They're very good. And the the thing was, I didn't. It wasn't that I thought my team was weak. It was that um, I think three or four kids on my team I haven't seen since high school, which is five, maybe six years ago now. And one, I don't know if they've been working out at all. Two, I don't I don't really have that like relationship with them to be on a team together. Like we don't have that teamwork uh so it wasn't that i thought we were weak it was that i was i was just questioning whether this is going to work out um that being said every day from when we saw that until until it came i i got more confident and every day in my head i was like all right maybe we're not going to come in last maybe we'll come in we'll come in second to last and then the next day i'd be like all right maybe our team's pretty good maybe we might come in second and then by the time that morning came I was so confident. Uh, I didn't care what those people showed up looking like. I was I was ready to go, and I, I honestly thought we'd win. So 
um, we were strategizing before the whole event. Um, we, the, I think the biggest thing when it came to our team winning was no one tried to do too much. So especially if you look at Joe Sarno's team, they had four people trying to do like a six person event. So they, they are very good. They are very strong. They held their own to, to the max ability, but there, there was no way they could have lasted. And when it came to my team, I think we just, we put players in the right position. So it wasn't like, Oh, I think I'm the strongest on the slaughters. No, I think I'm the strongest on the slaughters. Uh, and then you fight over it. It was, I, it was who thinks they're the best on the slaughters. You, okay. You're going to do that. I think I'm pretty good at slaughters, but, but I'm actually pretty decent at this. And if I have the best chance of getting the fastest time on this part of it, I'm going to go do that. So it was, it was more of placing the people in the right positions and, and knowing like it was the best for the team. Cause maybe I wanted to do the sliders, but I knew that me doing the chain pool was going to, was going to help us win more. So why would I try and do the sliders? So, um, and I think the people on the team got that. So it was, it was really good to see a bunch of old guys come, come back and, and compete the way they did. And, and I'm not kidding when I say that the, the Thanksgiving tough man was probably the most, ha- most fun I've had since high school. And I, I'm very excited to do it every year. Says you, I came in last place with my team. Actually, second to last. <laughs> so, who, who did you guys uh, think going in? Who did you think was going to win it all, aside from your team? Um, the Amorosi and Tronzo team. Uh, so, but, so, team uh, 2009. I, yeah. I, I personally thought that team was going to win. Um, I know most of the people on my, on my team don't really know a bunch of those people because um, they never really trained with them before. But in my mind, that was who was going to win. And I, like I said, I, I thought Sarno and, and King and Spears and all of them, I thought they were going to do incredible. But I, I figured that with the amount of times we were doing this event, I thought at some point they had to burn it up, which they did. Which they did. And at one point, I think they had three guys, and it was just – it was getting ugly. And they, these yep. guys were, were dudes. They're dudes. I don't know how they got as far as they did, but they They, they, they went way further than I would have in that situation. So I give them props. So right now we have tag team partners in advanced training for the challenge. Pete Amorosi is your tag team partner, but I'm going to ask you, aside from him, we'll keep him out of this. Who would be your ultimate tag team partner, past or present? So, so that's a good question, but do I have to keep him out of this? Uh, you don't have to. You don't have okay. to. So if you asked me this question a month ago before, you assigned, before the tag teams were assigned, um, I would have said Pete Amorosi. And I'm not saying this just because he's my tag team partner, because the, these teams can switch any day. If if someone wanted to trade or something, I could be on a different team any other day. But it's it's not that he's the strongest guy or the fastest guy or or anything like that. But if you if you've ever seen his passion, it's through the roof, and it doesn't go just for tough man. It goes for anything he does. So if if this guy puts his mind to something, he he obsesses over it and. And it's all he talks about and stuff like that. So that's the kind of guy I want on my team. I'd, I'd take that over the strongest guy any day. I'd take that over the fastest guy any day. I don't care how good you are at the actual tough man. I want the one that's going to that's gonna show up every time, give it their all. And and he doesn't talk uh, he doesn't talk negatively to anyone. I'm just no way. Nicely. Right. He never talks negatively. If if someone actually like calls him out for doing something, he actually talks them up for calling him out. It's incredible. So, so it, it's something like that. He's not going to involve in the trash talk. He's, he's just going to sit there. He's going to play his game the way it should be played. 
and and he's the ultimate team guy. And I think our personalities, especially uh, for the tag team, I, I think our personalities go perfectly together. And for example, when I say his passion, um, every year we do uh, a country festival in in June, and we go on a ski mountain and we camp out and uh and we it's like a three-day festival so we're there and we camp so this guy brings everything for the entire tailgate and i remember i think it was about a month ago uh i heard a story that he was sitting in the car with his girlfriend and randomly just out of nowhere was like you know what i don't think we're gonna have enough food this year for the amount of people that are coming like just just randomly talking about how passionate he was that we're not going to have enough food to feed the people that are, that are going to be at this tailgate that is in June. It was December. So it was, so it, it's things like that. Like he, he will hold on to that and, and think about every aspect of it for the entire time until it happens. So that, that's the guy I want on my team. And he's another guy coaching the weight room with us in the morning. He was our DB coach. I mean, he's, he's just an incredible person. I'm, he's another guy. I'm glad was part of what we were doing now. When you guys were a team on paper, I said, this team is stacked. You guys were undefeated, and then you were uh, just recently dethroned by Trunzo and Uske. Can you tell us uh, what happened in that challenge? Uh, yeah. So the challenge was, a, I believe, a 50-yard 70, high-hand- high-handle prowler between two guys. Once you get there, you have to solve a riddle and then low handle the prowler back 70 yards. The only thing is when you when you solve the riddle, you have a minute to do it. If you don't do it in the minute, you can finish the race. But if you finish it before the minute, then you can start the, the rest the rest of the race so you basically have the advantage if you get the riddle. So the the main rule that me and Pete obviously didn't think about was if you wanted to the other guy to go, you had to tag them in. So so I saw uh, Pete started the race. He went about 35 yards. I screamed tag. I tagged him on the butt, finished him, the, the prowler through the end. As soon as we get there, we hop off. We listen to the riddle, and Pete is going to go start on the way back. So as soon as Pete starts on the way back, he starts going, and you start screaming, you have to tag him. So props to, to Trunzo and Uske because they, they called it happening beforehand. But we were supposed to tag each other as we were waiting for the riddle, which is something that I think is absurd. Um, <laughs> but uh, but the, the fact that they called us doing it and let you know that you should watch that beforehand, it, it makes me respect them a little bit more. But uh, uh, I'm not going to take it easy on them next time. <laughs> and listen, you guys, I, I, when you guys got to the first 70-yard mark, you had them by a full second. Neither yep. neither team got the riddle, so you both got that one-minute penalty. Then Pete, he might have went about 20 yards. I was screaming at him the entire time that he needed to tag, and he went about 20 yards. So you lost 40 because he had to bring it back, 40 yards on this thing. So uh, <laughs> I felt badly because they told me that the night before, actually I woke up the next morning to this text, and I said, I can't believe I have to be a part of this thing. But I had to know. If they didn't tell me, I, would, I wouldn't have picked it up at all, and you guys would have just got away with it. So, uh, yeah, they made me part of it. I didn't want to be a part of it, but I had to be a part of their little game plan. Yeah, their, their, their game plan was pretty good. I, I can't even lie to you. Um, because they basically made you focus on one thing, which was the riddle. And then they they let the little uh, 
little you have to tag out things slip through, which which we weren't thinking about. But uh, we'll we'll get them next time. I guess I didn't think about that. What you just said that is kind of brilliant. You know, you're you're looking right. You're looking at that riddle. You're looking right. And boom, from the left, you get hit by the I didn't tag the guy. Little trick. Pretty brilliant stuff. Yep. So uh, last question before we get into the rapid fire questions, you talked about it a little bit before. You said you didn't play football in college, and I gotta ask, why not? Uh, I, I was I was tormenting you your whole senior year to go play football in college. I was tormenting you while you were in college to go play football in college. What made you not play football anymore? So this is this is a tough question for me because this one hurts. Um, but so backtrack a little bit. Uh, my whole life, I, I really wanted to play football in college, um, and it, it wasn't about like going to D1 college or anything like that. It was just I wanted to play football. I didn't care what it meant or anything. Like I, I was in love with football, so I wanted to play. Um, my senior year, which we talked about before, last game of the season, our first playoff game against Chaminade, um, I got really sick, and it, I got some type of virus where uh, I lost – pretty much all of my platelets and red blood cells. So they, the doctor told me that if I did play, I would have bled out internally on the field. Um, so obviously she would not clear me to play. So sitting and watching my last football game ever from the sideline was, was one of the most heartbreaking things that I could imagine. And you can, you can ask my parents, like I was, I was hysterical crying the entire day and the, the entire week leading up to it. Cause I knew I wasn't going to get cleared. Um, that being said, I wanted, I was going to Rowan university and I didn't get scouted or anything. Like they didn't come to me to look at my film. Like I, we spoke to a different, a few different schools uh, about me playing there uh, that came and like coach Clark set it up for us to talk to a few different schools, but I, I wasn't stupid. I knew what I wanted and I knew it wasn't all about football. So like I knew I wasn't going to go to the NFL. So my goal was to like be on a good football team but also go to a good school that's going to get me a good, um, like a good job and a place that I'm actually going to have fun. Cause yeah, I, I could go to like a really good school, but if I'm not having fun, like what's the point of me going to college for four years, I can go to a, a great school that has, that I have a great time and have a, a good football team. Like you can find it all. So when I was going to college, I found Rowan university. Uh, I visited the school. I fell in love with the school um, the football program was great. The, the schooling was great. Everything was great. Had a lot of kids. I'm going to have a lot of fun. So um, on like one of the, the days where they bring you in, I went to the coach's office and I, I spoke to one of the coaches. Um, and he basically said, like, since I, I didn't get scouted, I could do what's called white shirting. Um, it is not red shirting. It's a little different. Uh, white shirting, you can you can go and you can work out with the team um, like but you can't go onto the field unless like you're, you're going to be playing. So basically it was like, I was like that extra guy just because I didn't get scouted. That was like, I would work out with a team. And then as soon as they saw enough in me, they would put me on the actual like roster. Um, so I was very excited. Uh, I just wanted to like get on the field and, and start practicing and get. So my, my first week at Rowan university, um, the defensive coordinator, I believe it was set up a meeting with me and, um, and said, come at this time, like, we'll, we'll talk about what you can do, uh, what, like what we're going to do in the weight room and all this stuff. So I, I get very excited. I go to this meeting, I show up at his office and he's not there. Um, so 
I was asking like the, the people around and I was like, do you know where the coach is? And they were like, Oh, he's not here. So I, I call the coach and I'm like, Hey, like we have a meeting, like whatever. So he reschedules it. He's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't make it, whatever reschedules it. So we rescheduled it. And I think it was like three days later. So again, I'm very excited. I want to get started. Um, I show up for this meeting coach isn't there. So instantly it, it, it wasn't like I didn't want to play football again. It was, I didn't want to play football for him again. And it was, it was, just, it just felt disrespectful. Like there was two different meetings. You didn't show up to either of them. Clearly because I wasn't getting scouted, you don't really care about me. And that's, that's fine. Obviously I, I wasn't, uh, cause they don't scout in the New York area. It's a, it's a mostly New Jersey school. So they only scout New Jersey teams. So I was coming one of the only kids out of state um, I didn't get scouted. I was basically just going to work out with them until, unless they saw something out of me. So clearly he didn't care about me and, and none of the other coaches did either because they didn't give it an effort. So it was, it just seemed like it was a fully politics thing. And, and no matter how hard I worked or what I did, that it, it wouldn't be proven enough because I wasn't one of the guys getting that scholarship. So it just, just for me, it, it didn't feel right. And, and I mean, I regret it a lot of the time, but I, I definitely don't regret not playing for that guy. I, I guess that's a, I wasn't expecting, we know we never really had that conversation. So that that's a, I guess a more complex scenario than I had envisioned in my head. I thought it was just uh, you not want to play football anymore. You know, I, I didn't think it was other circumstances, something like that. Uh, and I, I, I guess it's, it's a weird dynamic because you, you love something that much like football and you are a football player. I don't care if you're a trainer or going to be in the fire department or you go to wall street you're just to me you're you're a football player who's doing whatever you're doing to make a living but to me bobby alberino a bomb whatever people want to call you is a football player it's just it's tough that that scenario didn't give you the right mindset to want to or be able to finish this thing out now granted and and look let's go to this next question because maybe this is the this is actually the answer to the question because it's a nice segue into it because i was going to ask you as a rapid fire question what is advanced training the answer to in your life? Because out of most people, you don't need to do this. You work out in a pretty high-profile gym that has all these toys and all these people. Why are you still doing this with us? So advanced training is is one of my favorite things to do, honestly. Um, so you have guys that are 30 years old who have full-time jobs, who haven't been athletes in 10 years. They're waking up at 5 a.m to go onto a field and do athletic things with a bunch of guys just because it's competitive. So the, the competitive spirit is, is everything I want. I'm an athlete. I love competing. I love winning. I don't like losing. It's very, it's, it's very clear to, to everyone around me about that. I don't think of myself as a sore loser either. Um, I know at some times I can kind of get lost in the sauce, you know, with, uh, especially with this challenge that, that just happened for, for a few minutes, I was heated. Um, cause I thought we were kind of cheated out of it, but, but, uh, I try to, I try to calm myself down and, and, and give credit where it's due. They, they outsmarted us on that one and, and you got to give credit where it's due. But, um, it, it's basically, it's the program you built full of the people for, for advanced training. You, you can't just show up. You have to know someone to get in. It's not like these average Joe guys who, who have a job and it's, it's like they just show up and run through the motions. It's if you're going, you're giving everything you have. And for an example, my friend Jordan just started coming. He played baseball um, growing up, but he never really 
did strength training. He never, he never really did anything athletic besides just, just playing baseball. Um, not a strong guy. Doesn't work out much. Um, but he came to open arms. Everyone was, was cheering this kid on. Um, everyone was, was helping him when they needed it. And it wasn't like, oh, you're ruining our workout. It was like, all right, we're, we're going to get you better together so that from now on our workouts are still great. So it was like the, the camaraderie of, of the guys and just just have you ever seen in a gym or in a diner where where the old men that are like 80 years old show up every morning at like 6 a.m. just to talk and hang out? Right. That's what it's like for for a bunch of grown athletes that's basically what advanced trading is so you're 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 going to get your fix of to take out your anger or to to just throw things around or to get stronger if that's just your goal it's it's it gives you that camaraderie and that fix and that that excitement over competition that that every man wishes they had that is awesome stuff man because you're right it's almost like we're not sitting at a diner having coffee we're doing kind of the same thing, but we're smashing into a prowler. Or, you know, a guy like Jordan Combs, he hasn't worked out much, or I'd say in this fashion, and he hasn't quit. He won't quit. I know he won't quit. He's, he, you know, he's getting through every drill to the best he can, but he's getting better every time. And guys are feeding off that. They're feeding off his passion getting through these drills. I, I love every second. All right, so what do you think is the thing that you bring to the culture of advanced training that's unique to you? Uh, that's a that's a tough one because there's a lot of guys that bring a lot of different things like Uske he he's got the brain he he's not the biggest or the strongest guy and, and he knows that but he uses he uses his smarts in these challenges so perfectly um, especially the the challenge with Sarno where you had to you had to figure out the weight before you put it on the sled and then push the sled that one when when I heard the challenge and when I was watching the challenge I was actually mind blown that he thought he would win that race and he absolutely destroyed Sarno. Um, so th- there's a lot of different guys that bring a lot of different things, and everyone's passionate about what they bring. But for, for me, it's uh, I, I think I'm a strong guy. I think I'm a great team player. And I, I think the added um, tag team event, I think that was the, my favorite part of the program so far because that kind of brings out my, my strength. So for me, it's it's not like – I will do everything that it takes to win, but I'd rather do that on a team than by myself. I, I don't, I'm not like an alone type guy. And my whole life I've played on, on teams and done team things. And, and it's, it's, I, I don't like making everything about myself. I'd rather go through it all with a team. So for me, it's, it's, I feel like I'm pretty good at building a team and, and things like that. And I might trash talk every once in a while, but I'm, I'm kind of quiet to myself. Um, I just, I kind of just try and prove it on the field. So, so when, when me and Pete get to go out there and, and show, uh, show everyone, we're, we're kind of, I feel like we came into this underrated. Like you have the smart guys, you have the overly strong guys and everyone seemed better than us on paper. Like we were two pretty average guys, but, but when we get to be put on the field together and, and, and our, our passion gets put out and, and we give it all, all, I think I think it's a big thing to bring to the team. A, I, I don't think you guys are average by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> and uh, and B, I have to ask, what team do you guys want to beat the most badly? What current team? Uh, honestly, it doesn't matter to me. Um, There's not some, to... like, burning desire to just go back at Trunzo and Uske? Uh, after... there, there, was, there was a first, and I, I made that very clear. I, I told them that. I'm not taking their their 
stuff anymore and I'm I'm basically just gonna go after them. Um but that was that was all just heat of the moment. Like for me it's it, it doesn't matter to me. Whoever you put in front of me, I, I wanna beat them. And and it's not that I hope they do bad. I never hope that someone does bad in something. Like it, I, even when Trunzo and Uske were going, like I'm cheering them on. I hope they do an awesome job. I just hope that I do a more awesome job. I hope that all the training that I've done and all the hard work that I've given, everything that I've done, I hope it overcomes better than someone else, but I'd never want them to do bad, if that makes sense. It makes total sense. It makes total sense. And that's why you and Amorosi are a very good fit as a tag team because you can't have one guy hating other people and wishing the worst on them on your team and the other guy not doing that. You have to have, I'd say, complementary uh, sorry, complementary skill sets and the same values which you guys have, which makes a good team. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And and like I said, I every every guy that is that is an ex athlete is a little hot headed. So so in the moment, some some emotions get over you. But it's it's what happens when you're on your downtime that like you don't let it bother you. You you realize you were stupid and and you kind of kind of just try and pass that on and and focus on the next event. All right, a couple more quick questions for you. First, uh, first one. What is the worst advice you got in your life? Worst training advice? Uh, that deadlifts are back, ex- back exercise, and that you should have crippling back pain in your lower back after you finish the exercise. Wow, that's pretty bad. All right, what is, <laughs> I'm hoping that I didn't give you that that advice. <laughs> no, uh, it wasn't you. What was the worst advice you ever gave? Oh, I've given a lot of bad advice, and and seeing what. I do now at my job and seeing what I did, let's say in high school or, or even like the beginning of college, like certain things that I told people would help them or something like that. Um, I've given a lot of bad advice, but um, I can't really pick out one really bad thing that I've given. But for example, when I was in high school, I used to love training with like those ladders. I used to do those ladder drills all the time. And I thought, the faster you move your feet on these little little movements on the thing, the faster you're going to get. You're going to get fast feet. You're going to get fast feet because that's all you see on Instagram. and That's all you see the pro players doing. And I I think it's been very clear throughout my, my training and my job that that looks very cool on Instagram but does absolutely nothing for anyone. Um, so I, th- I, think just doing, I think just doing that and like telling people that that's what made me fast or quick and and explosive and things like that. I think that was the, the, the biggest upset in my life. That, that could be a, an entire podcast. It was definitely a blog post, but I will not get into that right now because uh, we're, we're in the rapid fire questions. All right. What is something that you do to stay fit that other people would think would be crazy? could be a crazy workout, crazy warm up. What is it? Um, well, first of all, advanced training. Um, I, I don't think anyone my age or older would think that waking up at 5 a.m. to to go work out with a bunch of guys in a park in, in 15 degree weather is, is smart. Um, but for me, I try to I try to challenge myself every day. So, for example, uh, a few months ago, me and me and the guy Justin I worked with signed up for a uh, 30 mile adventure race in New Hampshire. So it was it was mountain biking and running up at like a 2000 elevation mountain in New Hampshire. And prior to that, I had no experience with anything long distance. I haven't ridden a bike since I was about 13. Um, I wasn't a runner. I can, I can run pretty fast for like a 40 yard dash, but if you had me run a mile, I'd be exhausted. So um, because I knew those things that I was really bad at it, 
I challenged myself and I said, Hey, Justin, um, we're signing up for this race in, in, in three months, we have three months to train for this 30 mile race. We're signing up and we're just going to bust our butt to do it. And thank God I had Justin there to train with because, um, I, for the most part, I, I had the feeling of giving up almost every day because on Saturday and Sundays, when I had to do four hours of endurance training, like a two hour run and then a two hour bike ride, no part of me wanted to do that. No part of me. But anytime I had that feeling, I would just text him and be like, I'm not, I'm not going to say the word that I would say, but I'd basically say like, Hey, call me a baby because I don't want to do this. And, and you're going to, you telling, calling me a baby is going to make me want to do it. So like I would text him anytime I, I felt like I didn't want to do something and it would basically be like, Hey, give me some motivation. So, so having that, that teammate to do something with, um, that if, cause there's certain times where even like he would feel off or I would feel off and it was just like, you need that pick me up person. Do you tell uh, Amorosi to do that on Friday mornings? Uh, no, <laughs> no, the, the, the Friday mornings usually work fine for me. Those, those are my favorite type of workouts. So, so getting up early to, to go lift some things, some heavy things and push some sleds, that's easy for me, but it's more like the long distance running that, that takes me a while. All right. Last question. Last question. This is my selfish question. What is one life lesson you can give me on how to simplify or remove clutter from my life? And it does not have to be about exercise. It could be anything. Um, so we kind of talked about this before, but writing things down um, for me. And, and I'm not saying just write your goals down on the mirror like you were told in high school football. I'm saying like actually write everything down. I have a very bad memory. So for me, if you tell me, hey, this client wants to come in at four o'clock next weekend, or next week, uh, I'm not going to remember unless I write it down. So for me, I have post-its on my laptop. So anything I hear, I immediately write it down. Anything that I have to be scheduled, I immediately put into my phone. Anything, like it has to be done right away or I'm not going to do it. So for me, if if I wake up and I have this burning passion to do something that day, I have to write it on my whiteboard or I have to put it in my phone because by three o'clock, I'm not going to remember I wanted to do it and it's, it's just going to go away. So for me, writing things down where, where they're accessible or, or putting them in your phone or just, just writing it where you can see it. That's, that's definitely my biggest tip on, on how to be productive and how to get things done faster. Because if, if you take longer to do something, um, you're just wasting time. And one thing you taught me was, was efficiency. And I think I carry that very well in my like job. I like to get things done quickly. I like to do them when they need to be done. I don't like to sit on anything. Um, I don't like to procrastinate with a lot of stuff. So, so when I'm able to just write things down and know like, oh, I have to schedule this in for 11 o'clock or I'm not going to do it, I'll, I'll make the time to do it and, and I'll, I'll make sure it gets done. So there's two things I got to say before we punch out. One, I'm starting to see a nice pattern. You're, you might be the fourth person who in some way uh, – who's on this podcast who in some way alluded to writing stuff down. Maybe it was making lists. Maybe it was writing down for a goal, uh, writing a not-to-do list. So I'm starting to see a cool pattern. Number two, what I love is that you have self, you have the self-awareness to think that I might not remember this thing, or so I need to write it down. Or you say, like, I'll forget it, or if I don't write it down, I'm not going to do it. Most people, where they run into problems is they think they're better at stuff than they really are, and they have this, I'd say, this arrogance, and that's what gets them into problems. So the fact that you have this self-awareness is awesome, and you're correcting it with an awesome productivity tip. So I love every second of it. Yeah, so for me, it's uh... – I read this book called The Checklist Manifesto, and 
Um, basically, the entire book is based on writing a checklist if you have to do something. So one of the key concepts was um, there was this doctor who was like a world world known doctor for doing great surgeries and everything like that. Um, but he didn't believe in like being checked on what he was doing. So if one of the nurses was like, hey, like you should do this first because that's what you're supposed to do. He would just like curse at them and send them off. Um, and and because of that, he ended up getting, I think, sued and put in jail because he he didn't do the right thing. So I think he was like supposed to do surgery on one side of this person's brain to get something out. And he ended up like cutting into the other side. And by the time he came back to cut the right side, uh, like the person died. So he ended up getting sued or going to jail or something because basically because he didn't go through his checklist. So the entire thing was about how like Air Force pilots and and doctors and, and surgeons and all these people, their biggest thing is they have a checklist. So anytime they're about to do surgery, they pull out this checklist, they make sure they check everything off of the list before they start the surgery. So simple things like wash your hands. That's the day one thing when you're a surgeon, you have to wash your hands. But they're, because they're so simple, you overlook them a lot. So for me, it's, it's, it's a lot about just knowing your faults and trying to correct them before it happens. So my mentor in my job that is not advanced training, he is the biggest advocate of that book, The Checklist Manifesto. It is sitting on my bookshelf. I have not read it yet. I'm ashamed to say it. I don't know why. I have a, like 10 books recommended to me that are just literally sitting on my bookshelf. They're, they're next in line. I need to read it. But I have a homework assignment for you. I need you to reach out to your tag team partner, Pete Amorosi, and ask him what a good old Coach Mahoney would whip out before every single game, every road trip we had. It was actually a legit checklist that said like a ball bag, check, video equipment, check, roster for the kids, check. It was, it was for the way there and the way back. I had a, a going there checklist and a coming back checklist because of that book, which I didn't read, but just because my mentor had told me so much about it in the way you did. So I, now I need to read the book. Now it needs to be one of my next, next ones coming up. Yeah, it's, it's funny, too, because uh, growing up, I had this same thing happen to me um, where, like, anytime I would go on vacation, I would pack everything I needed and, and I'd think I'm done. And then my mom would come in with a list and say, do you have T-shirts? Do you have shorts? Do you have socks? Do you have a bathing suit? And she would go th- through the entire thing and make sure I had every single thing listed. And more than half of the time, I missed at least one thing. So I remember one vacation I went and I completely forgot to pack socks so the only one i had was the one pair of socks that i was wearing so it was just like it's it's the simplest things that 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 lose your mind and and uh yeah that that book taught a lot for me all right man you you inspired me to to add that to my list so uh well it's on my list to make it one of the it's, on, it's in the on deck circle of books i'm gonna read all right, brother, this has been an awesome podcast. I'm going to let you go. This might be the, the longest one to date. I think you've broken uh, Joe Trunzo and Pete Amorosi's record. So awesome stuff. I will see you Friday morning, and uh, hopefully we have another podcast with you and Pete Amorosi to talk about how you guys try to right the wrongs in round two of the trunzo Uske <clears throat> battle. That would be awesome. But uh, just saying, Trunzo, if I did beat you, that's, that's my start to uh, the comeback here. So uh, oh. <laughs> longest podcast. I'll take that one. All right. Baby steps, baby. Baby steps. All right. All right, Bobby. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Coach. Bye. Bye.